Thank you, Brother Tim. Thank you, worship team, for leading us today. Especially want to thank Jake for joining in today and helping on the bass. Thank you, Jake. I'm talking to you. Thank you very much. And appreciate all of you are here today. I uh, didn't know how many would show up. I told you in my email, I uh, remember what Mama said about rain, but I don't remember what Mama said about flakes of snow. And She probably would up the number from 19 drops of water, keep 20 Baptists away, to 40 Baptists away on that one. But anyway, I'm thankful that you're here. I really am. I know a number of people are listening over the Internet. Some listen live, some listen later on. Uh, Dale's mom and daddy usually listen a little later on and heard from folks this yesterday in Augusta, Georgia that listen regularly later on in the week and others throughout the afternoon. So however you join us, thank you. We have some in the parking lot today or close, as close as they can be without coming in. We're great. We greet them. I went out, I greet, that's where I go every Sunday morning is to greet people in the parking lot. And uh, this morning, I might have gotten hit by a snowball while I was out there. Right, Taylor? Not once, but twice. She was just, I could just tell, she wanted to hit me so bad, but she was discreet and hit me on uh, my back so I wouldn't get it in my face. But I got hit twice by snowballs as I went out to greet those folks outside. But anyway, I deserved it. I know I do. And, uh, but I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We have been in this chapter for a few weeks. We're going to be finishing it very, very soon. But as I mentioned in last Sunday's message and perhaps the one prior to that, Philip, the Philippi church or the church at Philippi was a good church, a solid church, probably Paul's favorite church. A group of churches, a favorite church that he had started amongst the group of churches that he pl planted over the years. Probably his favorite. Even though they were his favorite and they were very strong, they were not without problems. You see, as we have discussed before, anytime a group of humans gets involved, there are going to be some kind of problems. And Philippi was no exception. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But we want churches to be places uh, that are places of encouragement. Someone said to me recently, this church is a happy place. That's what we want it to be, a happy, safe, encouraging place. Sometimes churches can be harsh, places of hurt. We never want that to happen, but on occasion it does. But if there's one thing most churches do well, it's meet a lot. One writer in an article said... Uh, Churches seem to be the most meeting places on earth. In fact, in a particularly a larger church, if you get out the bulletin and count up the amount of meetings and schedules and services, there usually are more of those than there are hours in the day. One person said, one lady reportedly said, I had to go join the Methodist church because my health couldn't stand being a Baptist. And that's why you'll see on the screen a little poem I want you to say it out loud with me Mary had a little lamb it might have become a sheep but she joined a Baptist church and died from lack of sleep well that's often the way it is we know it's true churches meet a lot but we also know churches have definite reasons to meet and they have 
purposes to meet and there are reasons for our existence. We as a church always want to be doing what God wants us to do. To meet when we need to meet and don't meet when we need to meet. Always following the purpose of God. Well, I want to make sure our church has three characteristics that we see in these few verses this morning. So turn with me first of all to verse 27 going through verse 30 of chapter 1 to the end of the chapter. Beginning with verse 27, what does it say? Just one thing. So Paul is being a preacher here and saying, okay, listen to me. Look at me. You looking at me? All right, one thing. Just live your life in a way that pleases the Lord. Look what he says. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In fact, Paul's right. If you just take that home with you, and that alone, it's worth everything. Just one thing, he said, just live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working where? Side by side. Working side by side for the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is evidence of their destruction. But of your deliverance. And this is from God. For it is not only given to you on Christ's behalf. Not only to believe in him. But also to do what? To suffer for him. And all God's people said ouch. But to suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now you hear about me. Oh, my friends, we want to do things the right way. We want to have the right ways of doing church. And Paul gives us three essentials here. I won't be as long today as I have been the last couple of weeks. Just don't have as many verses unless I think of some stories and then it just might go on a little longer but three essentials for victory. First of all, there's consistency. There's consistency. Now I'm gonna I want you to hear this. Look at me. You looking? The great essential for victory is not a great sermon or a great book. It's a consistent life on the part of the everyday believer. This is the great essential for spiritual victory for the Lord and for his church that the everyday believer and me live in a way that's consistent with the gospel. We talked about that in our Sunday school class. Paul uses this phrase. He says, live in a manner worthy. Now, they would understand what this meant. And it applies really to the political situation in which they live. What does that mean? Well, Philippi in Asia Minor, modern day, what country? Turkey. Philippi was a little different than the other cities in Asia Minor. Why? It was a Roman colony. What would happen is this. Rome, of course, was where? In what country? Italy, of course. Was and still is. They haven't moved it. <laughs> but Rome, of course, established its empire across most of the known world. But not everybody that lived in that empire were Romans. 
You had to be born a Roman in a Roman colony. So it was an outpost of Rome somewhere else. Paul was born where? Tarsus, which was a Roman colony. Philippi was a Roman colony. Those born in Philippi had the rights of being a Roman citizen. Now that contained a number of responsibilities, but also privileges. That's why Paul later on would say, I'm a Roman citizen. And all of a sudden, they paid him respect. All of a sudden, the chains came off. All of a sudden, they treated him very differentially because he was a Roman citizen. It used to be that way in the world when you said, I'm an American citizen. Now you better watch out. They're going to throw something at you. But used to, when you said, I'm an American citizen, whoa, that was something else. I just read a memoir of a woman who is entitled, great book, entitled, Escaping Hitler, Evading Stalin. This woman was born in what later became Poland, northeast Germany, and of course she had to go through Hitler and then Stalin. They gave that part of Poland to Russia, so she had to escape Stalin as well as Hitler. And the story is amazing. Amazing. But later on they found out that she was an American citizen. Why? She had been born in America, and almost immediately her parents had taken her back to Germany. But when they found out she was an American citizen, changed everything. Changed everything. Well, these people lived in Philippi. They were Roman citizens, and that gave them a status and responsibility that was different. And so Paul is saying, you know what it's like to live as a citizen. You know what it's like to have those responsibilities. And he's saying, listen, you are a part of the kingdom of heaven. And so you need to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And the question is, am I living my life in such a way that I am worthy of the kingdom of heaven and worthy of the gospel? So he's using a political word picture here to say to the people, live in a way that does not bring any kind of disparagement upon the Roman colony in which you live. But as a part of the kingdom of God, you don't want to bring any disrespect any disparagement upon the kingdom of heaven and so he is pointing out here the need for consistency in our daily lives and I'm going to tell you that's easier said than done isn't it some of you say well I feel like I'm in a good place spiritually right now and I'm being consistent in my walk before the Lord but you can't always say it's been that way right because consistency is one of our biggest problems but the great mark of true maturation or maturity is consistency. Heard of a preacher who was so mad at his church, he just couldn't depend on anybody. And the people would show up, and then they wouldn't show up, and then show up, and then they wouldn't show up. He just got so frustrated, he didn't know what to do. But he had a new church secretary. He said, listen, I've just had it. I want you. You're new. I want to see if you know what you're doing and if you can really help me. I want to give you a list of people that have been sporadic in their giving and sporadic in their attendance. See if you can do something. It wasn't a week went by. He got a letter from a prominent physician that was a member of the church who had been very bad about coming to church. And this physician said, dear pastor, I am so sorry. I have not been faithful. And I am so apologetic. I, I will be there Sunday. I am so sorry. And here's the $10,000 check to make up for the offerings 
that I, I, must, I missed when I was not there. Oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. Signed, Dr. So-and-so. P.S. Please tell your new secretary. There's only one R in dirty and there's no C in skunk. <laughs> Apparently that secretary got the message across, not with proper spelling, but she got the message across. And he was consistent from then on. Well, whatever it takes. But shouldn't we be consistent in our walk with the Lord? Friends, I hope that 2021 is a much better year than 2020 was. And I can tell you spiritually it will be if you're consistent in the Lord. But second, there's another factor for spiritual victory, and that is cooperation. Now look at the latter part of verse 27. Whether I'm absent, whether I come to see you, I will hear about you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side. The word picture there moves from politics to athletics. And he is using analogy of a sport team. And when the team really works together well, there are victories. But when one team member decides to go it alone and not be a good team player, then you know what happens. Then the team loses. So Paul is saying, I want to hear from you that you were a good team, that you worked together, that you stood firm for the gospel. Standing together is a serious issue. And he says, I want you to be a good team, church. That's a good advice, isn't it? You see, Philippians had some problems. We had a couple of women in the church that did not get along. Well, that happens, doesn't it? Sometimes between the women and sometimes between the men. But it does happen. He said, I want to hear from you. I want to get a good report card that you are working together that you are standing firm for the gospel. You see, the enemy is always happy to see internal divisions in a local ministry. It's what he wants. In fact, the work of the evil one is to divide and conquer. Some of you have been in churches that struggled to stay unified. Some of you may even tell horror stories of a church where there was some kind of split did you know that Greenville County has the largest number of churches per capita of any county in America? But do you know most of them were not started intentionally. They were started because somebody couldn't get along. And you've heard of churches like that if you haven't been in one yourself. May that never be said of us. I've told you before, I'll tell you again, and somebody will come to me tomorrow and say, Pastor, were you talking about any specific problems in our church? No, I'm just preaching what the Bible says. We're a sweet church that loves each other. And if you ever want to be different than that, what did I say last time? There's four exits. We'll show you which one you can use. Because we will not tolerate disunity in the fellowship. It brings, brings a bad name on the kingdom of God. Paul says, I want to see you standing together, working where? Side by side for the faith of the gospel. Standing together is very important. Well, I appreciate this story. Pastor was teaching the young adult Sunday school class like I did this morning. He told the story of the walls of Jericho falling down. Well, the young people in the church said, we didn't have anything to do with it. 
He was so upset, he took that story to the deacons. Can you believe that? I told them about the walls falling down, and they said they didn't have anything to do with it. Can you believe that? The deacons said, well, we don't know who did it either, preacher, but let's just pay for it and take care of it and not say anything more about it so we can keep unity. Well, obviously that's a silly, apocryphal story. Unity should not be based on ignorance. But unity should be based on a faith in the gospel. Unity should be based on a clear understanding of the deep unity that comes between God and his son. The bottom line is that we should contend together for the faith, the Bible says. For the faith of the gospel. Satan always wants to pit us against each other. But what we need is unity. Let the world strive. Let the world quarrel. Let politics tear people apart in America, but not in the church. Let us stand together working for the gospel. So when people want to know, where's your church stand on such and such? We stand with the work of the gospel. Hear me? We stand with the work of the gospel. And I hope politics will fall in line with that. But we're going to stand with the work of the gospel. Third and last, there's confidence. Look at verse 28, 29, and 30. The word frightened is used here. And Paul again moves his word picture analogies from politics to athletics now to a horse that was taken into battle. And the horse would be frightened as they approached the battle. And sometimes horses would get frightened and shy away from battle and shy away from the enemy. Paul is saying, don't ever be frightened to stand in front of the enemy of the gospel. Don't ever shy away from the spiritual battle in which you will find yourself. There are those who would deliberately avoid facing the enemy. He says, don't ever do that. And here's why you should never do that. He gives us three sub-points of why we should never be frightened to face this enemy. First of all, because these battles prove that you're saved. Look at verse 29. He really is saying, don't you know when you suffer, you're suffering for Christ. And you're going to suffer. There are going to be these battles. Don't be frightened by them. They're going to happen. Some new believers think they'll never have trouble again. <laughs> Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. But you're going to suffer for the right reason. Second, he tells us these, these battles, they're a privilege. We suffer for him. Look at verse 29 we, and, and following. We suffer for him. If we were suffering for ourselves, there would be no privilege to it. But the high holy honor of saying we suffer for the Lord, it's a privilege. And third and last, he says, don't be frightened. Don't be frightened at all because others are experiencing the same conflict. Paul said in verse 30, in other words, listen, you're not alone. I'm going through struggles. You're going through struggles. We're struggling together. One of the things that happen when we suffer as believers is we begin to think it's just us. Paul says, look around you. Others are going through the same thing that you're going through. They're suffering and sharing in the battle just like you are. So my friends, the bottom line of all this is that when Christians live like the one whose name they bear, when they live like the one whose name they bear, they bring credit to the kingdom of God. They will see, as it says in verse 28, that they don't possess what you do. 
Isn't it sad when we've heard over the years people say, well, if that's Christianity, I don't want any part of it. How we want people to see that there is a difference in us and it draws them to the Savior and not away from the Savior. What Paul is here saying is I want you to have a life that transcends circumstances. I want you to have a life that transcends circumstances and transcends even suffering. That's what he wants. Friends, listen to me. We're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And that's why the title of this message is Battle Stations. My daddy was in the Navy in World War II. I told you about my daddy, Willie. Remember my silly coach story about daddy? Some of you knew. My sweet daddy was getting into uh, Alzheimer's in his latter days. And he had a good-looking coat. I went to see him in his nursing home. He was only there about a year. He died at almost 92. He liked me to call him by his first name. I said, Willie, that's a good-looking coat you got on. He said, son, I've had this since World War II. I said, Daddy, that's a new coat. You didn't have that in the war. Yes, son, I did. And anyway, we talked about it a little bit. He was convinced. And, you know, when somebody's convinced, just let them be convinced. He said, son, I can prove it to you. I said, well, prove it. He opened it up. He said, Old Navy. See there? My daddy was in the old Navy. I said, okay, Willie, that's a good coat you got. Lasted all these years. He was in the old Navy. And he was on a ship in the Pacific. And during the war, sometimes they would ring battle stations. And that means the enemy is near. Radars picked up an enemy vessel or an enemy airplane. Battle stations. Everybody goes to where they should be and does the job they were trained to do so they can be a part of standing side by side for the work. My friends, we're in a battle. And it's time for Christians to stand side by side at their battle station, doing what God has called us to do, doing it together, not doing it for our own credit, but for the credit of the Lord, working together for His glory and His honor. We need that kind of spiritual teamwork so we can be a different kind of church in a world that is struggling so hard. Somebody say amen. amen. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name we come. Thank you for your precious word to us today. And Lord, I pray right now that we as a body of believers would recommit ourselves to being at our battle stations doing what you've called us to do, using our spiritual gifts and abilities for you, your glory, your honor. And God, may nobody go away from here patting anybody on the back except you. We work together side by side for the sake of the gospel. And may that be what our church is known for. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.